you're set. And then I'll ask you to pray with me. God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, God who is with us in our hardest moments, in the ones where we feel the most at sea, in the ones where we cause pain, in the ones where we are joyful. God, we ask you to be with us in this moment, that you would be in the words of our mouths, in the meditations of our hearts, in the movements of our bodies, so that we might be made even more yours, transparent windows of your love to the world. And if our words or our bodies should move away from you, should act in ways that are not to your service, God. We ask that you would help us to repent, which after all just means to turn around and to walk in the second chances that you are always offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The most remarkable worship service that I've ever been to one that will stay with me for the rest of my days, um, is one that took place during this holy season that we're in now of Lent. And it was a Good Friday service, one that comes towards the end of the season on the day in which we honor and remember the death of Jesus. And it was a service some of you may have been to before, which is a seven last words service where we have a lot of short messages on the seven last things that Jesus says in all of the Gospels, which if anybody ever bothers you about your interpretation of the Bible, how, to, how one can have seven last words is a conversation you can have with them. But one, one thing that's wonderful about the seven last words is that they're all beautiful and they all have layer upon layer upon layer to teach us about who God is. And one that sticks with me a lot and that um, has been really powerful for the Christian community over time is this thing that Jesus says about the people who are killing him, which is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I was at this service, um, which was not of this church, and I'm going to change some identifying details, uh, but was of a church that had been together for a long time, where everybody knew everybody having the service with a couple of other churches that were good friends of ours, and they had all known each other for a long time. Everybody in that room thought they knew the whole story of everybody else in that room. Um, and that was loving, and it was beautiful. And then one of the matriarchs of that community gets up to give her last word, to give her interpretation of this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And she was someone who had been and is a leader in that community, and her husband had been too. He had played a pastoral role in the church, and she had led worship services and service programs and small groups, and they were pillars of that community. And she just got up there, and she said, here's what I have to say about forgiveness. And then shared with all of these people who held her in high esteem and who went to church with her, about one of the hardest times in her life, which was when her partner had cheated on her. And then she shared about the anger and the bitterness that she had felt and how she had been unable to let go of it. And though she had stayed married to him and loved him, she had then been so angry that she cheated on him. And then she talked about how hard it was for him to forgive her. And 
how the years had gone on and they had loved and they had lived and they had done good and wonderful things in the world and this had stayed with them and haunted them. And there had been moments where it came back and moments where it made them bitter again and moments where it made them angry again and moments where it seemed to come between them again. And she ended by just saying, I don't know if he has truly forgiven me or if he ever will and I am still with him. And then she sat down. And it was this extraordinary moment, unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, because as Christians, we talk a lot about forgiveness, right? It's one of the main themes. It's one of the main messages. We talk all the time about what it means to be a forgiving people, about what it means to be forgiven by God, about what it means to forgive each other. But never had I seen someone so rawly share what the hard daily work of forgiveness actually looks like in their life and the doubts that came along with figuring out if you can ever forgive someone for hurting you so deeply. And I had never seen someone share until I came to Urban Village really and started doing testimony so rawly in a church space, things about themselves that they were truly and deeply ashamed of and hadn't really gotten over yet. Why, if we talk about forgiveness so much, why, if we tell the story of forgiveness so much, why, if we say this is a core part of who Jesus is, do we tell those stories so infrequently? Why are we so afraid to talk about forgiveness, and why are we so afraid to talk about apologies? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of them is that so often our community has mislabeled what is sin and what is not. We have called parts of our identity sin, and we have called being a part of systems that hurt not sin. And so then when it comes to conversation about sinning against one another, apologizing and forgiving, almost every single one we've had has felt wrong or strange or not real. And so how could we have one again that works, right? How do you figure out what sin is and isn't? We have this group called Starting Point here at Urban Village that we run several times a year, and it's kind of a new members class, and so we go over these big theological ideas, and one of them is a whole Sunday that we just spend on sin. And I'm always amazed that when I ask people, like, how were you formed to believe um, about sin? What, what has been taught to you? The only thing that everybody was taught is that um, drinking and smoking and having sex before marriage are bad. <laughs> and basically nobody else had ever had any other conversation about what sin might look like that was common across the Christian community. So part of it is that we have a hard time labeling what harm looks like, and so then we have a hard time labeling what moving forward from harm looks like. But then there's another hard thing about forgiveness, which is that we worry that having done something wrong having done anything wrong, is somehow a reflection on the wholeness and the unworthiness of who we are. And so we become afraid to apologize. We become afraid to enter into forgiveness because admitting that we've done anything wrong at all seems like an attack on our very being. You may think that this isn't true of you, <clears throat> um, but then I encourage you to think about the last time you messed up. <laughs> The last time you did something that hurt somebody, that you said something mean in passing, or you lost your temper too quickly, or you gossiped, right, when you knew that it was going to get back to the person you were gossiping about, and whether or not you approached that person that you harmed, and how long you spent thinking about it, <laughs> how long you have spent thinking about things that you have done that you know have harmed other people, but then you haven't brought up with them. 
I have a daughter who's three and a half years old, and so we're trying to teach her how to pray. Um, and basically, since she started talking, we've been building it up piece by piece, what a prayer looks like. And so we started with thanks. We started with just a list every night. What, what do you want to thank God for? Right? What do we say thank you to God for? Milk and toys appear frequently <laughs> in her prayers, right? She's being honest. Um, and, and then we built up to asking for help. What are some things we want to ask for God's help for? Because as she's kind of grown developmentally, um, she can understand that. And so we, we built on, oh, you know, grandpa's going on a trip. Let's ask for God's help for making that trip safe. Or your little brother is sick. Let's ask for God's help to make him feel better. And then we tried to add on the third component of prayer, which is confession, which is saying, I'm sorry. And we hadn't wanted to do it early on because we thought that um, it would be too confusing. Like she wouldn't be able to get it but we thought that she could, and so we said, what are some things we want to say I'm sorry to God for? And she flipped out, <laughs> just like could not handle it. Um, and she started doing the same thing when we asked her to say I'm sorry to family members, right? Oh, no, you know, no hitting, no taking toys, please say I'm sorry. And she would just, no, I don't like those words. <laughs> no, stop saying them to me. And she, you could just see her whole body and her whole personality reacting. I don't want to do that. And she's a pretty kind, sweet kid. And so we tried to have these conversations, right, about, like, why is this reaction so big? Why is this reaction so hard? Why does it feel so terrible to say I'm sorry? And part of it is being out of control, but part of it is also feeling like if I say sorry, I'm bad, right? Not I did something bad, but I'm bad. And we realized that because it finally clicked for her. Um, I don't know why this didn't click for us earlier, but we started sharing with her stories of times that we had messed up and said sorry. So we stopped asking her to say sorry to her brother in the moment. And when she messed up, did something hurtful, we would just start saying, you know, once when I was a kid, I wrestled my brother to the ground, and it was not very nice of me, and then I said sorry to him, <laughs> right? Or my husband would say, once when I was a kid, I did not listen to my mommy, and I banged on the door for many, many minutes, and then I said sorry, and then we loved, you know, and we still loved each other, and it was okay. And we just started sharing story after story after story of when we had said sorry, of when we had messed up, and how things were still okay. And we were okay, and our relationships were okay, and love was still real. And that opened up for her that she could be a person who says sorry. And that's what I want this sermon series to be for us. We're going to be getting into a different component each Sunday throughout the next six, and I hope you get excited because we got all kinds of stuff coming up. Um, but that forgiveness, both receiving forgiveness and offering forgiveness, uh, forgiveness, are everyday practices of being a human in the world. This psalm, I think, is a beautiful one about our creation and about our closeness to God, but it and other ones like it may have led us slightly astray, slightly astray, in that when we root our worthiness in being in the image of God, in being made good, in being created good, some of us have gotten confused and thought that that means if we admit that we are also imperfect, that we also mess up, that we also cause harm, that somehow that takes apart the whole thing we believed in the first place about being made good by God. When in fact, as verse 5 says, we are made a little less than God. 
It says that as a point of pride, right? How can it be? How can it be that God loves us so much that God has made us so close to God, that God has given us so many gifts and so many powers and such ability to love? How can it be that we are so small and God has cared enough to give us all that God has given us? We forget that also, right, we are a little less than God. Built in is the expectation that we will not be perfect. <laughs> Built in is the expectation that we will cause harm. And that is not something to cover up, to put a mask over, to hide from, because it makes us feel that we have failed at the task of being human or of being God's people. But it is something to embrace because it's what's real. We went out on the streets this week for Ash Wednesday, and we put ashes on our forehead, and we put ashes on the foreheads of others. And it was in part to remember our mortality, right? Life is short. Live it. <laughs> Live big is one of the messages of Ash Wednesday. But the other is, we are all dusty, right? We, just, we all got dust going on. We've all got stuff on our shoulders and on our souls and on our hearts. And rather than that being a source of shame, it can be a source of living, a source of saying to one another, what is my daily practice of seeing the ways I have caused harm and attempting to meet people across that line? Forgiveness is powerful. It is not required in every situation. I just want to put out there, as we have this forgiveness conversation, in situations of consistent abuse, right, where to to forgive someone in a way that keeps putting you in a relationship where you get hurt um, is not respectful to the godly source of, of goodness that you are. And forgiveness doesn't have to mean putting yourself back into a situation of pain over and over and over again. But for those of us who aren't in that situation, which many of us aren't all of the time, I'm going to encourage us to look this week so that we can consider in the weeks to come. Where are you noticing yourself holding on to resentment, anger, bitterness? Where are you noticing yourself having pains that others have caused that you don't say out loud to them? Become attentive to your interior life so that you may notice the opportunities for forgiveness because that's what they are. Not things to hide, not things to be afraid of, but opportunities to enter into the most ancient and beautiful practice that flows from who God has been to us. Forgiving, loving, merciful, gentle, the one who crosses all things. So we're going to get into it, but first we have to see where our soul is at. So spend this week figuring out who are you having trouble forgiving? Who might you want um, a little bit of apology from? And where is God as you discern the practice of forgiveness in your life? Amen? Amen. All right. So we've got, uh, we had a little sermon let this morning. Because